Lord God, we thank you for your presence here this morning. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit and your, your guidance. God, we thank you that we can gather here today to worship you and to learn about you more. God, we just pray that our hearts will be open to your word today, to your preaching. And God, we just pray that your will be done here today. God, we just pray that we can be your servants. We can be your feet and your voice to reach this world for you. Praise you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. We are very excited, Pastor Terry and I. We're starting a new series in the book of Philippians. And so we're going to be doing a style of preaching and teaching called expository preaching. And this is taking a book of the Bible and walking through the entire book verse by verse. So everything in that book, the context of it, the background, the history, what it means, we're going to be digging into. And, and this does a lot of things. We cover a lot of topics but it also teaches us how to dig into the Word of God on our own when we're going through these books. So we're going to be starting in the book of Philippians, and for the next couple of weeks we're going to be going through the entire book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians is a very interesting book, and so it should be very encouraging for us because this book is one of the only books written by Paul that's all about encouragement. Like there's not any negativity, there's no condemnation. So it should be very easy listening, okay? That's as long as Terry and I don't mess it up and get on sidetracks, right? But he goes on and he's just loving and pouring into this Philippian church. And so I just want us to jump into Philippians and we're just going to read a couple of verses just to get a kind of a background for this. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Philippians and I'm going to begin just reading in verse... 2 through 4. Terry's a little nervous now because he's doing these verses next week. He's like, what are you doing? Um, verses 2 through 4 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. And then he goes on to talk about partnering. And we need to understand the background of the book of Philippians in the, in the Philippi church. And it's very important to understand this because anytime we approach a text, we need to understand... Sorry, my Bible's falling here. We approach a text, we need to understand the background. And so with the book of Philippians, Paul loves this church. And we're going to dig into why he loves this church. But he's talking about loving, compassion. He has no criticism. If you look over in Ephesians or Corinthians, he's always telling people, look, you're a Christian. What are you doing? You can't be doing these things anymore. You're a follower of Christ. Or he's saying, stop doing this and start doing this. But in Philippians, there's so much joy, there's so much love, there's so much peace. And so we need to understand the reason for this is because Paul started the Philippian church, and it was the first church that he started in Europe. And so in that area, it was the first church he started. And so would you pray with me this morning? We're going to jump in. Before we jump into Philippians, to better understand this, we're going to start in Acts chapter 16. And the reason for doing this is Acts 16 shows us how the church actually started. And so we're going to go back and see actually how the church started in Philippi before we jump into the book of Philippians. So um, would you please pray with me? God, there is so much that you want us to learn in this book, 
God, I pray for our time this morning that I may be used by you. God, there is nothing in me good except for what you've done in me. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this church. God, I praise you for who you are. God, may you speak to us. May you change us. May you convict us this morning and help us to grow in the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. So we're going to begin in Acts chapter 16, and Paul is starting the very foundations of this church. So we're going to see in the study, there are three unlikely choices. And if you have an insert there in the bulletin, the message this morning is called Three Unlikely Choices. And so we're going to look at who Paul and his group and God decided to use to start this Philippian church. And I think the findings are quite surprising Um, and you will really enjoy it. So we're going to begin. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. So if you have your Bibles, verse 6. It says, They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen this vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here we see that Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and Luke, they're traveling, and they were going to go to another area, and God stopped them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to stop here, and and I want you to understand, God wants to be with you in life and where you're going. And we see here that he put them exactly where he wanted them to go. They started going one way, and they were stopped by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they waited, and then a vision came to Paul and said, you're going to go this way instead. So then they started going that way. And I don't know what you're facing today, but in every area of your life, you need to be seeking the will of God, what he wants for you. And I just have an example of this um, in our lives is my wife and I um, were praying through a situation. She had been given a call to go to Massachusetts for like a five-day job doing nursing. And she's never done traveling nursing before, but, you know, she's like, that could be fun. They pay for your air. They pay for traveling. They pay for lodging. They pay for your food. And it was like great pay. And we were like, man, well, let's, let's pray about this. We started to pray. We didn't hear anything. We didn't hear anything. What do you do when you pray and you don't hear anything? Well, we kept praying, and we started moving through the process. And we just said, God, if you don't want this to happen, then clearly close the doors. And throughout this course, there, there was just this unsettled feeling, but we weren't really sure. We wanted to just seek God's will. And just, was it yesterday, um, just received a call, and it was from that company just saying, we, we just wanted to let you know you're on standby. All the positions are filled, but you're on a backup list. And it was like, thank you, God, for answering our prayer. Like, that's exactly what we wanted. We just wanted to know what God's will was. So in every situation, he knows exactly what you're going through, exactly what you need. And just seek him, and he will make the answer known. But we see here that this missionary team sought the will of God, and now they're on their way to Philippi. And this is where we pick up in verse 11. So setting sail for Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. 
which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. I'm glad we're at Philippi now because those are a lot of big words that I don't have to say anymore. So we're now at Philippi. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman, women who had come together. So this team was Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. And we're now in our story in the context and the place of Philippi. Okay? And this is where the church was going to begin. And we see from the text here, they clearly had an agenda. There was no synagogue. And what would have been posted on these cities is you're walking in the gates and on these columns, they would say, no religion, you know, allowed. You're not allowed to bring any foreign religion into Roman colonies. What they had set up is what was going to stay. And you couldn't bring anything in that was foreign to them. So that's why they couldn't meet in the city. So they said... You know, it was just kind of common that day that if you can't have a church in the city, you're going to have a church right outside the city gates. So right outside the city gate, that's why they said, we're going to go there and supposing that there's a church that meets by the riverside, they went there. And I want us to understand they had an agenda. Have you ever struggled with being a Christian and you're like wanting to spend time with some friends or, and they're lost friends, but you're not sure if you should have an agenda for like their salvation? And am I just inviting them or talking with them because I really want to share the gospel with them or is it out of a love? Well, I want you to see they really, they had an agenda. They went there trying to find some people who believed in God, but were not yet Christians. And in their story, they ended up finding someone. But I want us to understand because For me, many, many, many times in my life, this is what I pray. I'm going to go meet with somebody, and I'm like, God, if you want me to talk with this person about you, clearly make it known. Open the doors. Give me, give every situation. Line everything up. Have them bring up God. That would be great. Have them bring up, hey, you want them to say this kind of question. Can you tell me about Jesus Christ and what that's done in your life? And we, we act like, If by chance, just so happen, occasionally, if by a miracle, that happens, then we can share the gospel with somebody. But here in the story, we see that they intentionally woke up on a specific day at a specific time, went to a specific place to find a group of people with a specific purpose, right? They were intentional. This would be like waking up tomorrow and saying, all right, we're going to go to the mall and we're going to present the gospel to some people because the mall is a place where there's a lot of unsaved people. I don't know if you've ever done that. It's scary and exciting all at the same time. Um, Which, by the way, we do have a class coming up in a couple of months on evangelism and apologetics where we're going to do some of those things. So that probably scared most of you away, but it's going to be incredible. Anyways, jumping back into the story, we need to understand they were specific. They had an agenda. They went there, and they found someone. So they began teaching. And I I want you to just take a moment here. Is there someone in your life, a neighbor, a co-worker, a family member, that you need to be intentional about reaching for Jesus Christ? Is, Is there someone that you just need to start being intentional and that you need to have an agenda for? Just take a moment and think through that because we're supposed to be intentional about the gospel. We're supposed to be all about discipleship, which we just went through a whole series, but 
beginning of that, remember, you catch the fish, you have to be intentional if you're going to go fishing. When you catch the fish, what do you do, church? Come on. Thank you. You clean the fish. You go through discipleship. So be intentional. So we see Paul, he sat down, which was a style of teaching. And then it also says only women were mentioned in the story. Men, where were we at? Probably at home sleeping or something like that, fishing maybe. But it says that only women were there, showing you that this was such a small group that no men had stepped up to lead. Only women were there. They were probably discussing the Old Testament meeting and praying. So this tiny little group, and they weren't even Christians yet. And so for Paul to come visit them was probably a tremendous treat to have a traveling rabbi come visit this small group of God-fearers. So let's pick up in verse 14 and 15. Paul is now teaching this small little group of women. And this is an incredible, incredible story. Very important. Verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I want us to dig in there. We have this woman named Lydia. She believed in God, but was not yet a Christian. Okay, it's very important to understand that. She was kind of a Jew. She was into Judaism. She believed in God, but was not a follower of Jesus Christ yet. She did not know about him. And it says in verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I want us to understand here, there is nothing in me, nothing in Terry, nothing in this worship team, nothing that's going to happen here shortly with communion, that unless God comes and does a work here, is going to matter. There is nothing apart from Him that's going to change a life. Not your life, not my life. And we see here that God is the one who opened Lydia's heart to even hear the things of God. And I believe that many times we stray away from sharing the gospel with people because it's not so much a fear of it is a lack of our trust and faith in God. See, if I think it's all up to me in evangelism to go present the gospel to somebody, that's a huge pressure. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't do this? What if they, they don't become a Christian because I messed it up? Listen, we see here from this example of Lydia, God is the one who opens the heart of men and women to hear the gospel. So when you don't want to talk with somebody out of a fear, you've placed way too much emphasis on yourself in presenting the gospel. Because I am nothing. You are nothing. We see over and over, we see John the Baptist where he says, I'm not even worthy to to fix his sandal. And it goes on to say, God is the one who breaks hearts. So be bold. Have encouragement to share what God has placed on your heart with the lives of those that he's placed it. So, Church, what would have happened if God did nothing in that situation? If God did not open her heart? I would say nothing would have happened. God is the one who opened her heart. The same thing happened to me at my experience of salvation. That God is the one who even allowed me to understand the things of who God is. We can't understand Him alone. Under 
understanding this passage, one commentator puts it this way, Lydia seeking was the first step of her spiritual liberation. Yet she, like all sinners, did not seek God on her own until he first sought her. In Romans 3.11, Paul emphasizes this when he wrote, There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. John 6.44 further emphasizes this point by stating that no one can come to me, declares the Lord Jesus Christ, unless... The Father who sent me draws them. That should encourage us in evangelism. God is the one who does the whole work. We are just a mouthpiece that can be used by God. So, today's message, three unlikely choices. Imagine going to start a church. And it's just you and a group of friends. You're going to go start a church. You're not going to be at the church. You're just going to start building believers and then leave. What type of people would you find? What type of people would you want to get? Well, we have Lydia here, and I want to jump in, and this is in your outline. We're going to go through Lydia. Lydia says a couple of things, but one is she's from the city of Thyatira, okay? So she's from the city of Thyatira, but where are they located at? Question to you? They're located right now in the story at the city of Philippi, right? So did she take them? To somewhere at the end of this little verse? Where'd she take them? To her home. But she's from the city of Thyatira, which means she has two homes and she's very wealthy. So we actually have like a picture of a snowbird. There wasn't probably snow, but a picture of a snowbird in the story. She travels back and forth between the two cities. She's from Thyatira, but she's in Philippi. She was a seller of purple. This was very expensive material, only royalty wore. She was self-employed, right? That was her employment. She didn't work for anybody else. She, in her own business, made her own hours. Said she was a worshiper of God. This meant that she believed in the Old Testament, but she was not a follower of Jesus Christ yet. She was morally religious, is kind of her philosophical background. A lot of people that sit in church are kind of morally religious, they, they just stick to the morals to get their life right, to just be religious enough. But I want you to understand that doesn't mean you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Just because you live a good life, which I would argue there's no such thing, but just because you look the part doesn't mean you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Plus, she's a woman. Listen, if I'm going to start a church in a culture that doesn't look up to women, I'm not going to start with a group of women, Right? And that's all they went to is they went and started teaching a group of women. Plus, she has a lot of money, which, I mean, today's culture, some people think those are the people you need to get to start a church. But that wasn't who they were looking for. I mean, the Bible gives warnings all the time about what it means to be a rich person and how hard it is for them to enter into the kingdom of God. Plus, she's a woman. Plus, she's Asian. That's where Thyatira is. She's from an Asian descent. So all of these things are against her in regards to who they pick. But you need to see there that what happens to her? She ended up believing the message, the gospel that was preached, and became a follower of Jesus Christ. A very unlikely choice, for sure. Let's continue on reading verses 16 through 18. This is going to be the second unlikely, unlikely choice. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by 
fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And it says, This she kept doing for many, 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 many days. It only says many once, but I emphasize that. Many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. So again, we see in verse 16, they were going to the place of where? Church? Prayer. The same place. They were intentional. They were going back there. They met this slave girl who was possessed by a spirit. She was actually a medium with demons and communicated with demons. And this girl is 180 degrees different than Lydia. Okay, Lydia is well composed, she's religious, she's moral, she's wealthy, and we see the slave girl, she's a Greek, not Asian, she's considered property, and she's a slave, not a business owner, self-employed. She lived in poverty rather than luxury, and she was an emotional mess, okay? We're going to get three stories, some of you are like, I think this one's more me without the demonic side, more of an emotional bundle of emotion, right? This is what she was. And then she was into demonic paganism and she wasn't morally religious. And I want us to take a look at her story. Verse 17 states, she was following them crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. So verse 17, was that statement true? It was. So we have a demon proclaiming portion of the gospel. Why is that? Why would a demon through this girl be proclaiming, follow these men, they're going to teach you how to be saved? Satan doesn't want people to be saved, so what's he doing? What's his plan? Well, we need to understand there's two ways, and this is on your outline, there's two ways that Satan wants to destroy this church and all churches everywhere. The first one is infiltration. Satan wants to infiltrate the church and use the people in the church or to look like there's people in the church to destroy the church from the inside out. This is his, he would love to do this more so than any other ploy against the church. So by this demon proclaiming what is true, what does it look like? They're on the same team, right? Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke are walking, and then she's this herald saying, these men are going to teach you how to be saved, listen to them. Everybody in town's going to be like, aren't you the demon-possessed woman, Right? And, and you're on the same team with these guys? So they couldn't say, she's wrong, don't listen to her, because that would be denying the truth. So what did they do? He ended up casting out this demon, causing a big ruckus, because he wanted to separate what was going on in the church and what was outside the church. So the first way that Satan wants to destroy our church and churches everywhere is by infiltration. But the second way is out of persecution. Persecution. And we see this when we pick up in verse 19. But when her owners saw that the hopes of gain were gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Remember the sign on the front? That's what they were adhering to. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore off the garments of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. 
And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened them in stocks. So here we see infiltration didn't work, right? Satan wanted the the church to destroy from the inside out, get a spy on the inside, and then destroy it. And that didn't work. So now what's happening? Well, it couldn't happen from inside the church. So now persecution from outside the church is what's going to happen. And this is a picture of what we see. Because they did this, the city was in an uproar. The owner was very upset because now they're not going to make their fortune. And they were beaten. Their clothes were torn off. Persecution outside of the church. I want to take a brief moment here. Church, Satan wants you to destroy yourself and those around you and our church. So gossip, slander, lies, mischief, all the things that we're around all the time continually, internal strife, we have to strive for unity in all things. This is your church. It's not, it's not just our church that you attend to. No, it's your church and my church, our church. And if someone is talking internally about something and it's true and it needs to get fixed, then let's fix it. But if, if it's something else and you're listening to that, you're engaging in sin. And this is what Satan wants to have happen. Because if he can destroy us from the inside, man, that's exactly what he wants. Because the world's going to look at us. These Christians can't even, they can't even love one another, which is the one single greatest commandment God called them to do. And they can't even do it. Because look, their church is breaking apart. That's why when this doesn't happen, persecution from the outside happens where he tries to destroy them. I want you to think how tough church planting was, right, in these days. We have it easy today to plant churches, but for church planting then, they were beaten with rods, thrown in stocks, stripped. And then we're coming to our last third unlikely choice. About midnight, we're in verse 25, Paul and Silas, and this is always so convicting, after they were beaten and stripped, they were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. They're still being a witness. They still have an evangelistic effect because it says the prisoners were listening to them. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, the most important question you can ever ask in your whole life, what must I do to be saved? I was just asked this question on Wednesday night by a student, and they just said, so how do I save myself? And the question is, you don't save yourself. What must I do to be saved? The Bible very clearly says, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of your sins and turn to him and you will receive salvation. It's very simple, but he says, what must I do to be saved? And they said, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the very same hour of the night, washed their wounds. He baptized them at once he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. 
And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So there was praising, jailer's responsibility. He was about to die because the prisoners were let loose. But instead they said, wait, we didn't leave. Don't kill yourself. And he became a follower of Jesus Christ instead. Now I want us to look at the jailer. He's our third unlikely choice. He's a Roman, okay? Roman, he's a working man, middle class, kind of blue collar, right? He doesn't own his own job. He's working an eight to five job. He's just trying to get the bills paid. He's a man of principle. Yes is yes, no is no. We know this because when the prisoners he thought were escaped, he was about to kill himself out of his own integrity and honor. He could have ran, but instead he's saying, this is my job. I failed. I'm going to take my life. He's a man of integrity, but he doesn't know God, and he's just doing his best to get through life. And he's indifferent about religion. The other story said that she feared God, and then we see a demonic kind of force there with the slave girl, and then we have this jailer, and it doesn't say anything about his religious background. And I think that's where a lot of people are today, is just kind of indifferent. I'll go to church, but I really don't care to. Maybe you're dragged here, maybe you're not. This is how I was for a lot of my life. Yeah, I believe in God, but I I really am not going to do anything with that. This is the Romans. So we have three unlikely choices, and these are the three they picked to build a church. Isn't this like kind of the beginning of a joke? It would have been in their culture. A Roman... And then you have an Asian and a Greek all walk into a bar, right? I mean, and they would have been like, okay, where's this joke going? And it's going to say, this is who we decided to build our church with, two of whom were women. And one was this jailer who really didn't care about religion. And and I want us to to think here, which of these do you relate to the most in the story? Where are you at? I mean, are, are are you Lydia who you believe in God, but you don't, you're not really doing anything with that. I mean, you want to strive for that. Maybe you have a lot of wealth. Maybe you're a business owner, but you haven't really connected with where God's wanted you to be. Maybe you, you're more like um, the slave girl that you just, I'm having a rough time in life. I feel like I'm always under spiritual attack. I'm emotional. I'm always up and down. Maybe you're more like the jailer and you're just like, I'm just trying to get through life. I'll go to church. Somebody invites me to, but it's really not that big of a deal. And I'm just kind of indifferent about everything. And I just want to get back to my job and and have some fun in life. And wherever I end up in eternity is wherever I end up. And we have these three extreme opposites in every area. And I I want you to think, because as I was working through this, the message God kind of gave me is this story could be called the fourth for unlikely choices. Because I I want you to think of your life. Are you an unlikely choice? I mean, when you think of your life and you think of who you are, what you've done, your mistakes, your issues, your emotionalness, your wealth class, or maybe you have lots of money but you don't do much with it. I mean, unlikely choice. Are you an unlikely choice? I know I am. And this story, as, as I'm reading through it, and, and every time I'm preaching, it's like God's preaching to me, is I'm the unlikely choice. For those of you who accepted Jesus Christ, you're the unlikely choice. 
And the more we understand that, the more God is going to do in and through our lives. But maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your salvation. I want you to understand you're an unlikely choice, but God still chooses you. And that's the most incredible good news you can ever receive. Wherever you're at in this spectrum, God said that he died for you so you can live for him. And all you have to do is call out on his name. There's one thing that goes through every single one of these stories in that all of these three individuals were saved by the blood of Christ and were used by him for something far greater. The same is true for every single one of us who call upon the name of the Lord. If you're in church this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're an unlikely choice. But praise God that he has chosen you. If you're here and you've never called upon the name of the Lord and you want to know and learn how to do that, I will be available right here. There's other strong believers in this church that you can grab and we can talk and I will stay as long as we need to talk for you to talk through all the issues going on. I know Terry feels the same way. That's what we're here for as a church. We're going to be here right after service. So come and grab us. It's the the most life-changing decision you can ever make. As followers of Jesus Christ committed to his church, he has called every single one of you, you, every single one of you, to turn to him and actively serve him in every way. Are you serving him? Are you actively serving him? Something we need to ask. I want us to spend time in just a moment to ask God to reveal to us anything that he wants us to do. If that's salvation for the first time, calling upon God, saying, God, thank you. I know I don't deserve it, but I believe what you've told me this morning. Maybe you are a Christian And you just need to praise him saying, God, I am an unlikely choice. And I praise you anyways. And this is why I can fall at your feet is because I so don't deserve what you've given me. As we move forward, we need to understand as we're studying the book of Philippians, Paul wrote this book 11 years earlier. Or he established this church 11 years earlier to these men and women. So as we're reading through the book of Philippians... Starting next week, he's writing to women like Lydia. I mean, 11 years later, he's writing and he's thinking of Lydia. I wonder what Lydia's done in this church of Philippi. I wonder how she's being used by God and her ministry of selling purple and her wealth. I wonder how God is using her. So he's writing this letter of Philippians. He's thinking of Lydia Moving down, he's probably thinking of this slave girl whose life was once corrupt and ran by demonic forces and now has completely transformed into this daughter of Jesus Christ. I wonder what, as Paul is writing the book of Philippians, I wonder what the slave girl is up to now that she's no longer a slave, but she's been set free by the blood of Christ. I wonder what God is doing in and through her life at this church in Philippi. And then to the jailer, the jailer that was about to take his life, but Paul and Silas and all of them said no when they shared the gospel with him. This man who didn't care, who has now been saved and all of his family by the blood of Jesus Christ, I wonder what testimony he has. You know, he was still probably a jailer for quite some time. Did he lead all of those other prisoners to Jesus Christ? Did he go back? Are there now all those prisoners in the church? I mean, Paul is thinking of these things as he's writing this letter. 
in Philippians that we're going to study next week, but it's important for us to understand this context, which is why we looked at it this morning. But I want us to understand, listen, you're the unlikely choice. I'm the unlikely choice. They were the unlikely choice, and that's why we're given this story, because God said, I'm going to pick the most messed up people in this story because I want to encourage my church that even though we don't have it all together, He does, and that we can come to Him, and He wants to transform our lives, and we can give Him our lives, and this is what the gospel is all about. So as we go into prayer, I just want you to contemplate what God's done for you. I know that I'm the unlikely choice. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to have a copy of his word. I don't deserve to be able to enter into prayer with him. I don't deserve forgiveness. But praise God, I have all those things in the name of Jesus Christ and by his blood. And as we are entering into a time of communion, Pastor Terry will be leading us in there. But before we do, would you please pray with me? God, we do pray that you may work in hearts today. God, I I thank you so much that you have chosen to save us the unlikely. When we look at Lydia and the slave girl and this jailer, all of them were unlikely choices to start a church. I know I was an unlikely choice. God, many of us, I mean, we don't understand why you've chosen us, but every single person in this place, God, I know that you have a purpose and a plan for them and praise you for that. I thank you for your blood, that you died for someone like me, that the Bible says, even when I was still sinning and committing sins against you, that you poured out your blood because of love, and it's because of that I can truly understand what love is. God, we praise you this morning, and we give this next moment of reflection and communion to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. To get our heart. To get our, hello, hello, okay. to get our hearts and minds prepared for communion, let's uh, turn to our Bibles to Isaiah 53. If you guys have your Bibles, let's turn to Isaiah 53. And we're going to be reading from verses 3 through the end of the chapter. And it says this, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we were healed. We are all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as sheep before his shearers in silence. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave and the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had no violence, done no violence, nor was any deceit on his mouth, yet, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. 
And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offering and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be the satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercessions for the transgressors. Uh, Men, you can start passing out the emblems. But as we think about Christ's death on the cross for us, we are so blessed to be here today as I'm trying to hold this and pick up this. Hold on one second here. Um, As we think about the bread being his broken body and the blood, his shed, uh, the fruit of the vine being his shed blood, we just thank you for this time. And as we go through this process, I want us not only to think about the cross, but also may we examine ourselves as we recognize that our sin costed Christ his life. So for, for a few minutes here, As we go forward, I'm going to just give everyone just a time to meditate on the cross and examine yourself now.
Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. We honor you, Father. We thank you for this time that we can remember, remember what your son done for us, Father, on the cross. Dying a brutal death. Taking on your wrath for our benefit, for our love. We praise you. We honor you. We thank you for this time where we can remember what Christ did 2,000 years later. We love you and praise you. It's through Christ's name. Amen.